This is Jared Fishman, and you're listening to the 20-Sided Gamified Podcast. The past 20 years, I've blended games and education together in the classroom. I'm a history teacher, a game-based learning specialist, and I serve on the board of HMGS NextGen Inc. and the North American Simulations and Games Association. I'm looking to broaden my own knowledge of game-based learning by talking to the people that do it best. Pull up a chair, get your dice ready, and enjoy the ride. All right, everybody. Hello. Jared here as usual. Um, I have a very special guest here. Um, despite the fact that we don't know each other, uh, his company is near and dear to my heart. As uh, a really long time ago, back in the early 2000s, I was at a Historicon and I come upon this game called Square Bashing. And I had personally never seen a game in which you had a miniatures setup, but with a gridded system. And coming from the DBA world, where you're literally breaking out protractors to try and figure out, well, where do I need to wheel to? How far do I get to go? And the fact that you were pushing miniatures from square to square, the, that little simple change, which personally I had never seen before, just sped things along completely. And since then, I've been hooked. And uh, therefore, our special guest today is uh, Martin Goddard from Peter Pig Miniatures. Hello. Good afternoon, everyone. Hello, Jared. Hi, anyone's listening. And thank you. For <laughs> well, hopefully, I mean, some people will probably be listening, so we'll see. Yeah, yeah. I hope so. <laughs> well, in all seriousness, like I said, uh, you know, I love your company. So, uh, you thank know, you. you're exactly the kind of person that uh, I'd love to talk to and get some information about your company out out to some some folks out there. So, so Martin, yeah. I guess maybe maybe a natural point of entry here would be just give me your origin story. Like, how did you get into miniatures? Oh, right. Um, well, I'm in my 60s now, so the generation when I started wargaming, uh, it was mainly the Airfix, the little Airfix soldiers, little plastic polythene soldiers, absolutely brilliant. In those days, only a few sets of rules, uh, not many wargames clubs. Um, it was very much do-it-yourself, but those are the early days. They're not the earliest days, but Featherstone-like, but they're early days. So plastic soldiers, uh, measuring tables, on playing on the floor, that sort of thing. Very cool. I had an airfix too. I think I like I feel like everybody I've talked to seems to have started with those little those little plastic figures. <laughs> yeah, all the great poses. Do you remember the US Marine pack? So, weapons? <laughs> well, let me think on this. So this is a while this is a while ago. I don't remember that particular oh, no. pack. I I had I actually do remember the story. So I was setting up a diorama for like a history class. I must have been in like third right. grade and my dad and I set up a, the Battle of Tobruk. So that's kind of, I had Australians, I had Brits, I had Germans, the old, yeah. I don't know if you guys had them in the UK, but um, those Rocco tanks that were like 170 yeah. second scale. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that I feel like we all kind of had them at some point, but I, I I never heard of the US Marines without the weapons. Oh, well, no, the, the Rocco tanks had little wheels underneath. Do you remember yes, those? I do remember. Fantastic. Yes. Yeah. Yes. You can never put a tank on a hill, could you? <laughs> <laughs> Actually, it's funny. I would sometimes, I don't know if this is heresy, but I would glue them sometimes for oh, that exact reason. I did. So, I mean, I guess for me immediately, it was like, you know, these are not toys. These are miniatures, right? Like that difference between the two. <laughs> no, they were so, great. Absolutely yeah. brilliant. Now, um, now, when you're using these Airfix figures, by the way, um, uh, where are you living? You're, I mean, I know you're from the UK, but where specifically are you from? 
Oh, I live in like the, the deep south, so it's uh, your equivalent of like Georgia sort of area. So gotcha. yeah, Dover, deep south, um, uh, Bournemouth, Yeovil, all the sort of towns, but uh, okay. south of London. Okay, gotcha. And again, before we get too deep into things, so in terms of Peter Pig Miniatures, which obviously we're going to get into that a lot, right? Is that like your, is that your profession? Is that what you only do or do you do some other things as well? Oh, no, I dribble on for ages. I've had loads and loads of jobs. Okay. I've worked in a bank. I've been I've been an infantry officer, if that helps. Oh, I didn't know that. Uh, I mean, no, that's right. Uh, I've been a teacher, worked for the post office, loads of other jobs. Mm-hmm. Because as we were chatting before the conversation, I don't think there's big money in wargaming for most no. people. No. So it tends to be something I did on the side. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I really can't think of a ton of companies that just that that's literally all they do other than maybe Warlord Games, you know, or obviously Games Workshop, you know, the really, really big companies. Yeah, absolutely. So so in terms of these Airfix figures that you're playing with. So, Mm. I mean, did you was that something that you just did on your own or did you have friends that you play with as well? Lots of friends. Yeah, lots of friends doing that. And those days, I don't know if you remember books such as Charles Grant's Battle. Oh, yes. My dad had all those books. Oh, yeah. John Tunstill's Wargaming books? No, that name I don't know. A little red book, no? That I don't know. This is all England-centric, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Um, Some of the Donald Featherston books? Yeah, so Donald Featherston was like, uh, I think we have a couple of his first editions because my dad's a gamer. That's how I got into it. So yeah, you see, <laughs> yeah. So I mean, I do. I mean, again, our our you know viewers or listeners are not going to see the gray in my beard, but uh, you know, right. yeah. I, I've been doing this since I was a little kid. So so like I said, and Charles Grant, Donald old, Featherston, Jared, but not no. too old. So you yeah. should be all right. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. I'll take that as a compliment. So yeah, go ahead. So I was going to say, um, luckily, as we were saying that free we started our chat in england there's lots and lots of local people because the population density is much higher over here than in most american states i would have thought yep. so we only have to travel a few miles to meet some other people so life is much easier see mm-hmm. donald featherstone was only about 30 miles away from where i am now so i pop over to see him now and again which is a bit of a treat no so, I, yeah, absolutely local yeah what was he like what was he like as a gamer and a writer and a person uh, seemed fairly straightforward. I don't mm. think he was very keen on things like micro armor. That's <laughs> he was very much um, 25 mil, 20 mil, uh, you know, just a generation away from us. So miles right. away from us. But right. um, he had the most, uh, a very impressive collection of figures in that. Do you remember a vacuum form company called Bologna? No, vacuum. I don't. Oh, he had the original handmade Bologna buildings. Oh, wow. Giant to anyone who's about 60 or older than listeners so old people out there there you go yeah yeah oh, great stuff now i can imagine so did he have a lot of um like those old um like scrooby figures like those big 30 millimeter figures or is that more of a u.s thing no he had the 30 mils and others but you see donald moved about four times mm-hmm. never more than about 10 miles when we started so uh yeah so we four different houses of that Oh, wow. He was a, he doing sort of medical thing for the local football club. Mm -hmm. uh, Because I think Wargaming in those days, there was only about him, Phil Bark, and a few others writing books about it. Right. Um, I suppose they made some money, but there's not a lot of money in books, is there? Well, again, I mean, unless you're, unless you are a huge name, I mean, 
selling millions of books like a Stephen King type again. Yeah, I, I don't I don't think so. Even no. some prolific rules writers today, like I can't imagine it's very lucrative. I think it's a lot of times like a labor of love, you know, from people. So I think you're right. Yeah, it just comes along and it goes again, doesn't it? But yeah. but yeah, but local wargaming down in in England and I suppose Scotland, that's the same. It's very easy to find local gamers. There's lots of them about, and you still discover people that live about half a mile away. Right. But as I was saying earlier, they don't want to advertise their wargamers. Mm-hmm. You only meet them at a show, which is fifty miles away. Yeah. Well, that is an interesting difference between the way like gaming in the UK and gaming in the US. I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I'm not spinning this as a negative, but I mean, some of the wargaming clubs in England are a bit exclusive, right? I mean, yeah. you, you kind of have your tight group. Yeah, the states. Oh, yeah. I find that I find it to be a little different. Like where, so here I'll give you an example. I moved to I moved to Connecticut um, back in May, twenty twenty two, right? And I don't know with the internet, you know, it always seems like there's somebody that wants a game. So I met the nicest dude in the world, guy who's um, becoming a uh, a dentist. And it just turns out he moved to the area around the same time as me. So looking for a player and there you go. So I, I don't know, it, it's a little bit more open, but we don't have as many of those traditional clubs. I mean, maybe like the New York Wargamers Association, like that's a club that right, jumps yeah. out. The Connecticut Wargames Club, you know, these, these jump out to me, but it's not the same as England. It just seems like there are so many really good little niche clubs, you know? Well, the, one of the ways it often works in England is a, a, a small town might have four clubs, but a bit like the Judean Liberation Front, they won't speak to each other because uh, Nobby and Terry play one thing, but Bob and Amy play something else. <laughs> right. We don't talk to them over there. Right. We do our thing <laughs> over here. And it's um, that's the nature of the hobby. It's not like tennis where there's one set of rules, is there? Well, yeah. I mean, and again, we were talking a little bit about this before, right? I mean, I do think that makes it on one hand, historical wargaming is so unbelievably, there's so much breadth to it in terms of finding a rule set you really like. But that also does create some degree of division and some degree of just getting everybody to agree on oh, one thing to play, right? Place. Absolutely. Yeah. It's hard. Yeah. It's a hard hobby to get into, which frankly yeah. is part of the reason why HMGS Next Gen was invented. Right. right. Yeah. You know, and part of the reason why we do a lot of the work we do is just to, you know, get people playing historicals. So because um, like I said, you know, if I buy a and again, my, our listeners probably are so tired of me ranting and raving about this. But look, huh. I, I could go and buy an Imperial Guard army for from Games Workshop. Right. Yeah. And I could go literally anywhere in the world and play that game and find people that play those rules. Whereas with historicals, it could be a little bit tougher absolutely yes very much so Mm. So, there was was a time with um ancients do you remember the wrg ancients oh i do i absolutely do i think from about 1973 to about 1990 if you said i want a game of ancients they say well we assume it's wrg yep it was good good in a way i mean bad in other ways but it was at least common ground yep i was a little young for wrg um, so when oh, I, yeah. when my, when my dad first got me into wargaming, that was now, again, I'm going to, I may make a mistake here, but I think WRG was on to its like seventh edition and DBA oh, had just come yeah, out. Yeah, oh yeah. yeah DBA yeah. had just come out. Oh. So, but you're right. Like, 
a game like WRG or DBA, which is more familiar to me. And by the way, for anybody listening out there, so WRG um, was really like one of the most famous ancient and medieval rule sets really ever written by Phil Barker. And he created DBA, which is a wonderful game, small 12 by, uh, sorry, 24 by 24 board. Each player has an army of 12 elements. And again, you know, we're kind of talking a little bit about these games that are the kinds of games you can find players anywhere. DBA yeah. was one of them for a while, and DBM oh, as well. Revolutionary, don't you think? I do, hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, if if somebody were to put a gun in my head and say top five most innovative games, I mean, again, I can't speak WRG because I was a little too young for those rules, but DBA is up there. 100%, Absolutely, I would agree. Yeah. You know? yeah. But I'm sure we can still argue over something, couldn't we? Well, but th- I mean, that's that's one thing about that game, right? Is like if you look at w- DBA and WRG, it's like it's a little like Warhammer in the sense that every edition there was something different, yeah. and a new army yeah. became yeah. powerful. And I don't well, know. It's good to argue. And also, I think it also keeps you know, it's just, if if you're looking at this as a business, I think you, it kind of sustains yourself. You know, I mean, Rick Priestley, Priestley, who was one of our first guests on the pod, All he right. was telling yeah. me yeah. Uh, what a wonderful guy he was telling. Uh, he was telling you know me and our listeners that just it's almost like when you see a new you know edition of Warhammer 40k or Fantasy Battle or whatever come out. They're already working on the next edition, and it's like really, yeah. Because, but I, you know, I mean, if they want to make money, I mean, you you need you need to figure something out, you know. But let me ask you. So, on that note, in terms of innovation, right? Right. So, look, I mean, I know again, we haven't got into it quite yet about where Peter Pig Miniatures, the company, all the different rules, kind of came from. But if we go back, when was the first moment where you either started sculpting figures or you sat down and were like? I want to put some rules out there for people. Oh, to play. I see. When is that moment? Yeah. All right. Well, the first rules we brought out was in about 1973. Um, of course, these rules are long lost now, but some collectors still got them. Uh, early rules tend to use percentage dice. You familiar with those? Yeah, very much so. I, that, was, that makes yeah. me think of Desperado immediately. Yeah, you know, where you've got love the uh, percentage dice. Yeah, they're probably you never get them to lay flat. So. You roll them <laughs> and they're true. in a ditch or a can of holes. Oh, something. believe me, I've yeah. run probably thousands of games for kids, and it's like my like the first thing I tell them is it's got to land flat and on the table. Yeah. Anywhere yeah. else, you got to re-roll it. So yeah. no, it's a hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. No, it's a good. Stuff. Yeah, early games percentage dice, those sort of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, earliest rules were things like um, sci-fi, uh, World War Two fighters, and some ironclad rules. Early okay. sort of but in those days the rules were just like sort of 20 pieces of paper stapled together because obviously it's pre-internet so you only sell them at shows so you turn up at shows with a stack of rules and they'd be like um i don't know a couple of pound each or three dollars that sort of thing and the people that bought them were also enthusiasts you don't have to like uh spoon feed them right 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 you know they know how to paint because some rules these days tell you how to do everything don't they they do, yeah. Especially like really, I would say really modern rule sets. I would yeah, say rules yeah. in the last like five years. I think. Well, look, uh, the names that come off the, the top of my head, and I again, I've played some of these games and enjoy them, and I don't think it's a bad thing. But if you think of a game like Saga, right, where right. when you buy that rule set, it's like it has not only does it have all of that about painting and building terrain and stuff like that, but. Yeah. All of these companies, like they'll make their own dice, they'll make their own measuring implements. And I think it's probably yeah. a financial yeah. thing, you know. Oh, I I, th- I agree totally. But in yeah. the early days, people would get the rules, and they'd a bit like when you make sort of custom cars, isn't it? You buy the pieces yeah. and build the car. 
Right. These days, I'm not sure quite so many people are... Do you customize your car? No, I I (laughs) care less about cars. I'm weird like that. I mean, if I'm going to spend money on something, it's going to be a guitar or it's going to be, you know, miniatures. I don't know. Cars have never interested me. So, But but things have changed. I mean, in some ways, Peter Pig in the next 10 years will get left behind because it'll be 3D printing, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, you know, it's interesting you bring that up, right? I I don't know. I mean, I think the technology needs to get a little bit better. Um, so And again, for our listeners, right? So a lot of people are buying 3D printers these days, meaning if you have the STL files, you can kind of print your own miniatures at home. However, you know, it's still, you know... It, it it's not cheap, right? And, you know, I don't know if our technology is quite there yet. Like, I know a lot of people are doing six mil figures and 10 millimeter figures, yeah. and you don't need a lot of detail on those, but I don't know. Like, Peter Pig Miniatures, um, and I know we're tantalizing our listeners in it right now, because mm. if somebody's listening and doesn't know what Peter Pig Miniatures are, we are dancing oh. right now. But I, I enjoy it. I don't know about you, Mr. Should I tell them? Well, I'll, I'll make one more point. So... Okay, go on. So... For those of you that are Googling Peter Pig miniatures right now, look, I, I don't think a a a digital um, 3D printer is going to get the level of sculpting detail that are on your 15s. I just don't think it's there yet. Maybe I'm biased. Thank I don't you, Jared. Know. No, no, soon, but not yet. Yeah. All right. So look, I think I think at this point, right, we can tell. So so tell our listeners, um, where does Peter Pig miniatures the the company come from? When is okay. that born? Right. Yeah, it's always been uh, belonging to me and our group of people. So it's never changed hands. Uh, the Originally, uh, Julie, my wife, said, you want a name that's not too pretentious? Because if you have a word like battle or kill or gore, there's so many other names the same, don't you think? Uh, yes, absolutely. Yeah. Whereas hopefully Peter Pig is nice and, um, what should you say, distinct? Oh, totally unique, yeah. For sure, and I I don't want to give it some sort of name that's going to offend people or upset people. Uh, so we try to choose a name that people say, "Oh, I think I remember that." That was the idea behind it. Okay. Um, and Peter Pig, obviously, um, we gave it that name because sometimes if you're a company, call yourself something like um, Bobby's Twenty Eight Mill, you look silly when you start making fifteen mil or thirty mil or tanks or something like that. Right. So Peter Pig's a generic catch-all name. Hmm. And if I ever gave it war game, I could use it to launch a range of what sausages or something. I mean, probably some yeah. kind of pork yeah. product yeah. for sausages, consumption. Yeah. But that's know. why we we registered as a trademark as well because we think Peppa Pig might be coming at us. Yeah, right, right, right. So careful. Yeah. And <laughs> when was this? Yeah. What year was this? Do you remember when you, uh, when you got yep, the copyright about, and everything? Uh, about eighty four, nineteen eighty four. Yeah. Um, yeah. That is very surprising. Like I, I had always thought, and again, maybe who knows? Maybe I'm just young or something. But I, I think always, you're just young. Yeah, maybe yeah. I don't know. <laughs> the, the first time that I, I started seeing a lot of your games at cons, like I was saying at the beginning of the pod, was like like late '90s, really when I started yeah. seeing. Yeah. Probably because um, another um, store, which I'll give huge credit to um brookhurst hobbies in california they used to send people to the east uh coast um conventions and that's when i started really seeing a lot of your rules and a lot of your figure lines and stuff like that uh, i'll be larry and henry because uh henry tremblay owns the shop and yeah. larry was the manager yeah that's what you see because i used to go to historic cons as well mm. Change rate has killed it for us, though. Yeah, no, uh, for sure. Well, that hurts. Yeah, Although U.S. customers listening, if you want to buy now, it's a really good price. 
because the dollar is very, very was it one point two? I think one point two dollars to the pound. Yeah, I mean, comparatively speaking, bits of back in the day, it was always tough because yeah. again, like I used to order again when I was really, really young and playing a lot of DBA. Um, Essex Miniatures was one of the one of the companies yeah, that yeah. you know we did a decent amount of ordering from. That was back in the day, like where you're literally ordering off of like a catalog and mailing in. You know your Absolutely. order. Yeah, yeah. You know, so yeah. It's quite a, quite a while ago. Um, so in terms of the company, um, so Peter Pig Miniatures, um, could you describe to our listeners like the types of figures you have, like the different lines you have? And again, oh, yeah. you have so many, so don't feel like you need to name all of them. Right. Okay. Basically, we make make mostly fifteen millimeter figures. We've not gone for weirdy sort of eighteen mil or weird stuff like this. It's fifteen mil figures. The only exceptions, we do a one six hundredth range of American Civil ships, hammering iron. You may have seen those somewhere or other. Or I have. Not. Um, some range have come and gone. We had a spaceship range, got rid of that. Had a Renaissance range, got rid of that. Um, but, yeah, we've got about 2,000 packs in production, which is our boast, which is quite a lot of packs of figures. Yeah, no, for sure. So for Mike and Nigel in the workshop, they've got to find the mould, mm-hmm. cast it. And the problem with wargaming is that you might only want two packs of something. So for your two packs, they've got to go and cast it, find it. Uh, We've got big workshops, purpose-built workshops, full of little stock bins. Because when it goes 3D printing, you just have a computer, won't you? Just press a button. Yeah, and just wait for it, I guess. Exactly, so yeah. But but no, we so we we make... Making metal, they're all metal cast figures. We do do resin as well. Uh, we use resin mainly for boats and bigger items. Obviously, we print our rules. Uh, we make scenery. We, we're trying to be a one-stop shop. I'm not sure it's an intelligent thing to do, Jared, but we can at least say, well, we've got the figures, the rules, the dice, everything. So, uh, But as I said, we don't make much money out of it. It's right. enough to pay the people that are employed. And I think that's enough in wargaming. Yeah. I've been too, um, what should we say, uh, too optimistic. Right. But you know, it's funny. Like, you know, you're kind of, you know, obviously everything you're describing, um, again, wargaming really is a labor of love, especially for for companies. But again, like, I find that I feel like you guys are innovators because, again, like, if you look at a lot of companies, that's what a lot of other companies are doing these days, which is being that one-stop shop. Because I guess, like yeah. to them, like if you are going to make money, the whole idea is having everything there. So I, I feel like Peter Pig Miniatures have had, you know, a, a fairly sizable impact on the way that people do things. You know, maybe they don't talk about it a lot, but you know, well, if you, if you, I can sort of boast a little bit, we're yeah, the, that's what I want you to do. Yeah, yeah, okay, let's go. <laughs> let's want to edit this out. Um, we're the first people to introduce War Games dice with a piggy on the six so everyone else is putting the piggy on the little number one right <laughs> so peter pig in 2002 started putting the picture on the six so little right. minor things like that uh first people to use you know world war ii game you have vehicles yes because 50 mils really about 115th scale something like that mm-hmm. but we started it at one 100th scale which is the wrong size of 50 mil <laughs> but because little 15 mil men are quite fat, it works fine. Right. Yes, yeah, other sort of thing, innovation we started. So, because one one hundredth is not 15 mil. Right. It's probably about, I don't know, 18 mil or something. Yeah. 
once again, it's we introduce lots of little things and other people pick it up, which is fine. Uh, gridded games, 1998, Conquerors and Kings, ancient gridded games. There's been gridded games forever, but not with miniatures so much. Yes, that was literally my yeah. first introduction to your company. Again, like being a re- you know, young person, I think I was like maybe 18 or 19 with a couple of friends. And yeah, walking up to... I even remember what scenario it was. And I remember who ran it. So it was Nigel Clark. Um, remember that yeah <laughs> yeah so he yeah. yeah so he he was the guy that ran it and oh, it was yeah. the battle of lake Catau, um uh, or lee Cato, um you know in early know. world <laughs> yeah early world war one yeah, battle yeah. um and yeah i again it was very novel at the time i personally yeah, had yeah. seen plenty of like board games that used grids mm. but i had never seen a miniatures game and using a gridded system and just the fact that you could set the miniatures up any way you wanted. It was easy to move around where you're not necessarily having to take so much time, you know, measuring your angles and things like that. I was really blown away by it. Um, Very positive. Yeah. Right. And look, yo, go ahead. I'm sorry. We're able able to do it because the money didn't matter. So we could take a risk and say, well, we're fancy doing grids. I think to this day, there's, there's not, well, there's some other gritty games, aren't there? But not many miniatures gritty games. There's some. Yeah. So the again, the games that come out uh, off the top of my head would be um, like To the Strongest, which uh, is an ancient war game. Is it? Yeah. 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 Uh, written by, um, uh, if my memory serves me right, Simon Miller. Um, uh, yeah, and it's yeah. a great game, you know. And again, like I think uh, I don't know what he would say, but like there are definitely parallels to what you guys were doing in the early two thousands. And then the other one that jumps out to me would be um, uh, Sam Mustafa's Rommel game, um, and he's a yeah, pretty yeah. prolific rules writer over here in the yeah, states. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, like I absolutely think that you're one, really one of the first companies to do that. What hmm. made you do it? What made What made you well, guys go with that system? I think, Jared, using the words you said, it's the pain the neck measuring stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, the skill of the player should be to be a general, not a measurer. Right. Uh, <laughs> measuring, that's for some lowly NCO. <laughs> right. Uh, I, 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 I don't know how you feel, but in the game, you need to probably poke it at one level. So I would say, let's be a general. Therefore, it's not my job to worry about ammunition, how far you walk. Because uh, in the army, as you can imagine, you give someone an order and they get on with it. Right. Nothing oh, worse. I agree. Just keep coming and checking. Yeah, and it just slows everything down. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. Like I, I can see the other side of the coin too. Like you know, maybe you know, maybe in games where you're just sort of you know measuring around, like maybe it's a little bit more freewheeling. You know, maybe you might feel like you have a little bit more of a choice about where you you know move troops, right? And then maybe look, I'm just presenting counter arguments. You know, maybe for some people, the grids are too close to uh, you know like a board game. You know. But look, putting casting that stuff to the side, and look, I say this lovingly. A lot of us war gamers and gamers in general, we're pretty type A, right? So when it comes to yep. making sure that that uh, uh, you yeah. went eighteen millimeters, not nineteen, like I need to check this, yeah, yeah. And it's a it's a ten minute discussion yeah, about yeah. whether a unit could do that. Whereas with a grid, it's like there's no question. It's either you're in this square exactly. or you're in that square. So, um, yeah, but, I. I Think but the argument for the you want people to be the general, not the little because I don't think you should be every level of game. It should be you know, what are you in this game? Are you a, a skirmish and you're just lieutenant or are you a general? Because a general just says advance the left flank, doesn't he? Yeah, no, absolutely. And look, 
the other thing is, and I know you were saying that, you know, you had, you had taught math at some point and I'm a teacher yes, as well. Absolutely. It's like, yeah. look to me, like when I think about what might draw somebody to a game, like on the intellectual side of things, anything that gets in the way of them having to make tough choices, you're yeah. just losing, you know? Well, put Chad, I agree. I agree. Yeah. Yeah, let's, uh, let's get on with the game. Yeah. Yeah. No, for sure. With, with the gritty game is you can shuffle the soldiers. They look nice. Mm-hmm. You don't have to say, well, I better put Bob in front of Fred and make sure Harry's got a gun or whatever. Right. Yeah. But I mean, there are two camps. We have lots of people come out and say, just hate grids. And we say, well, thanks very much. Yeah. <laughs> I don't care either way. Right, right, right. Yeah. But in that, you um, know what? There's, yeah. a, there's a level of freedom there too. Because, you know, as you were saying, like, you know, again, the way that you run the company, it doesn't sound like your primary goal is to make billions of dollars a year uh, a year right i mean it's profit yeah there's no profit in it at all so then i guess you can do whatever you want sir exactly. <laughs> when it comes Isn't to your game nice? <laughs> you know you know what's actually kind of funny i figure i would bring this up cuz you know if you do any google searches you know on peter pig miniatures and you know um i always find people talking about how miniatures relate to others like can you mix companies Oh yeah, uh, you yeah, know, yeah. and I think what people sometimes don't understand is that your figures are actually 15 millimeter, whereas some companies yeah, are like, yeah. "Oh yeah, this is a 15," and in actuality, it's like 18 millimeters or 20 yeah, millimeters. Yeah. You know, so I always find those little debates, like on the miniatures page, pretty funny to say the least. Uh, yeah, I think there are some people you wouldn't employ to do any plumbing around the house, <laughs> right? <laughs> right, probably the right size tubing and stuff. No, but, indeed. Um, because I think it's more artistic in the war game rather than engineering, isn't it? Hmm. Yeah. Go. What do you mean by that? Describe that a little well, bit I mean, more, because I think it's a good, interesting question. Okay, Joe. Well, fifty mil to war game is some sort of a notional idea. Whereas fifty mil to plumber is an exact number, isn't it? If, it is. If you put the wrong plumbing in my house, then there's going to be water everywhere. <laughs> right. And say, well, it's about fifty mil, and uh, you know, I think, and it's more artistic, isn't it? Because uh, the figures, even our ones, they're all no figures are made to true proportions because bayonets would be what a third of a millimeter deep, or whatever. Yeah, so you've got to chunky them up. So, peak peak figures are should be robust and they shouldn't break too often either, right? And also, who are we kidding? I mean, I'll speak for myself, you know, I mean, game games are all abstract, you know, like they're not, uh, don't get me wrong, you can. You can learn a lot by playing a game, obviously, you know, but like in terms of like the actual warfare, if somebody's shooting at me, I'm not going to stand there. I'm running right, away. Yeah. Like it's come on. <laughs> These are toy soldiers that we're sort of exactly, gaming with here. Yeah, so, yeah. so let me ask you, what, what drew you to 15 millimeter versus a different scale? Well, um, this, do you remember a company long, this is going old again, Peter Lang. Heard of them? I know the name. Ah. The name sounds incredibly familiar, well, but he started 50 millimeter because the criteria for me is I'm uh, like yourself. I'm just a poor man. I don't have space for these uh, ridiculous 20 foot by 10 foot tables, whatever. So I need to have a game table that's small enough to fit my soldiers scenery and make it worth moving around. Right. Therefore, the soldiers need to be smaller. Uh, six mil, very, very popular, but I find it quite small for what I want to do. A 15 mil seemed a compromise, but yeah, it was invented by Peter Lang. And I thought, that's a lovely size. Really is right. a nice size. But it doesn't suit everybody, does it? No, you're right. Because I think for a lot, again, I don't know about gamers over in England, but I think for a lot of US gamers, um, 
at least when I was growing up, it was all about the big table and the big game. It was all about like the 12 by six table (laughs) that you can't even reach across. (laughs) And there is something incredibly novel about being able to set up a really good looking war war game table on a three by three table. Again, like Um, like my favorite Peter Pig game, which is square bashing, you know, Um, whether you're doing the big, you know, the big battle on a six by three or the smaller battle on three by three, it goes right on the kitchen table and you're right. Like you, you don't need an enormous amount of space to have a really good game, which well, I appreciate. The average UK home, because I'm not sure the average American home isn't that big either. But more yeah, game, it depends where you are. Yes. Yeah, it could be a bit wealthy and a bit like a garage or whatever. Some of them. Oh God. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, the United States. I mean, there's yeah, in exuberance of wealth in certain places. But, you know. Well, but Britain is also packed in. The average house is much smaller than American ones. Mm-hmm. And there's just not the space for it. You can't, right. you can't do it. Uh, there's still a lot of people with massive tables, and you know, good for them. But um, it, it's all it's different things for different people. But I want a game done within three hours. I want to arrive three hours, and I'm off again. Right. So for our listeners, so so far we've talked a little bit about your gridded system, you know. And again, yeah. for for those of you that might not be familiar with this company, just to make sure that we're being clear here. So what we really mean is if you take a 3 by 3 table and you grid it out into 6-inch squares and then yep. troops are moving left, they're moving right, yeah. they're moving straight ahead so on and so forth. You know, another thing that I found um really really fun about your rules and I know that in the square bashing second version there was more of this but like saving throws like the idea that when you're the on the passive end of things you're not just sort of sitting there you're actually doing something yeah. as your opponent is going which again like um is is a novel idea and it seems like I guess you guys have been doing that for a while in different well, games saving rolls that's really copied directly from Donald Featherstone mm-hmm but to pick up what you said, Jared, it's to give yep. the other person something to do, but it also means mathematically, instead of adjusting your hit roll by lots of different numbers, you can do adjustments on the hit roll and the saving roll, and they're both tiny adjustments. Whereas if you're messing around adjusting your hit roll an awful lot, the other guy's sitting there and thinking, this is very dull. No, so, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. So you- you do your adjustment on your hit roll, like say, oh, I'll add one or something. And I do an adjustment on my saving roll, like take one or add one. And between us, we made a huge amount of variations by doing two simple adjustments. Um, yeah. yeah, it's a Donald Featherstone idea. Saving rolls in Britain are, used to be very, very popular. Yeah. You know, it's funny. It's almost like if you think about some of those old rule sets, like charge, things like that, it's yeah. almost like yeah. games started out. Um, so simple and then somewhere along the line i think a lot of rules writers decided i need to have a chart with 80 modifiers that will take you you know know, like a collegiate (laughs) level degree in math in order to figure out what you need but now you're starting to see a lot more influx of games bringing that simplicity back you know which i think is a good thing overall i would agree with Jad. i'm not sure what the reason is maybe less time or less patience with fiddling around um yeah i don't know i think it's a really it would be a really nice little research topic you know because i think it's like an 80s thing right well, Maybe. it might be an age thing too, because when gamers are, when I don't know about you, but when I was 13, 14, mm-hmm. you want all the pointless statistics you can about the top speed of a Ferrari mm-hmm. and would it be possible? So you think, well, none of it matters. So maybe yeah. you gradually sweep it aside and say, well, it doesn't actually matter. Yeah. It's like rules where they've got a, a three inch movement for cavalry, but <laughs> two or three courts for dragoons. You think, well, right. do I care? Not really. Right. 
right, right, right. It's a personal pers- – the good thing with the hobby, Chad, is you know you can have your own thoughts on it, can't you? So I might be speaking a little hogwash, but people say, oh, fair enough. Mm-hmm. Well, no, and look, here's the other point too. There are some games that have a lot of complexity, but the complexity – really matters for that game. The, the game I think I can think of off the top of my head that I would argue this for would be a game like Sea Creek, where I have a couple of friends that are really into that game. So it's like, you know, modern and World War II naval warfare, mm-hmm. where, I mean, you're literally counting rivets on the ship, you know, and uh-huh. where that shell hits really matters. But the way that the rules are written, as long as you have somebody that's really good running it, yeah, yeah. there's a lot to it, you know? Um now again, am I am I going to write a set of rules that way, or am I always going to be drawn to that? Not so much, but there are some people where it's like it's their thing, you know, you know, or World War II games, like where how many millimeters really matters, whether it's the turret or the front arm or the side arm, or so on and so forth. But th- this is also a, a function of time available. I mean, how long do you spend on a game, Jared? What do you give up for a game? How many hours do you give up? For well, that's a, game? A, it's a good question. I mean, I don't know about you, but I mean. When I was a little younger, I liked the big game. I liked I liked the game, you know, you start in the morning and a good game is something that takes all day, you know, that's huge. But the older I get, the less enthused I am about that. I like <laughs> games that are done in two hours, you know. Um, yeah, so that, you know, if you're having friends over or for me, like I run a lot of games for kids with next gen. So uh, it's yeah, like, yeah. You no, know, and believe me, you know, for, for adults out there, that don't run games for kids, they're great and they're really savvy and they really get into it. And what I find though is their attention span, once you go beyond three hours, you start to lose them a little bit like anything yeah. else. So I really gravitate towards fast these days. Oh, I like fast and short, but then why are films getting longer though? What's the reason behind that? Well, that's a whole nother that's a whole nother <laughs> question of what's happening to Hollywood, like in terms yeah. of the movie industry. I mean, unless you're a comic book movie, it's tough these days. So more than two hours in a film, I think. Oh dear. <laughs> I think it's a COVID thing, to be honest. It seems like after COVID, maybe to get people I don't yeah. know, maybe oh, the allure oh. of something that's really long, like two and a half hours or something. Really? Oh yeah, uh, but no, I would. I'd rather play personally. I, I'll happily play two games in a day more happily than one big game. Right. But I play a lot of gaming. I do about um, two hundred eighty games a year. That is a lot of games. Yeah. Um, now, where well, do you do this? My jobs. So it's easy. Yeah, that is true. Where do you game? Like, do you game with a local club or at your house, right. at your home? Or I visit about four or five local clubs, so I try and be everywhere. Mm-hmm. to add the annoyance to everybody. Uh, <laughs> right. I, I game here. Uh, I game with lots of other people at their homes and that. But I would say I play about um, five battles a week because I That's... play the as well, which is indulgent, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. Like I, yeah. I, This is unheard of, that amount of gaming. But I'd have about – I've got about 30 regular opponents. That's great. 30 different people I play at least once a month. Mm-hmm. Some I play twice a week or whatever, but yeah. it's lovely for me. But it means that all the games we design must be able to go in a box, drive to someone's house, play the game, and still come home when it's not too dark. Yeah. That's my criteria, which is very different than most people's. Right. Do you go to a lot of the big, um, like, I don't know what you call them in um, in the UK, but like conventions, like a salute yeah. type of... Yeah. So well, you guys go there as like a well, company? We used to do about 30 a year. Mm-hmm. 
But now I've not been so well because you can see I'm looking very old. I've got a big long beard and <laughs> white hair. Looks like Gandalf like. Yeah, yeah, sorry. Right. I've I've not been so well, so we'd cut it down to two shows. But yeah, one time we'd done 30 a year, Jared. Mm-hmm. But those were the days when there wasn't internet. So you sales at shows would be brilliant. Right. But they're not so good now for us because historical 15 millimeter is a small part of the what people are spending. But there we go. Yeah. You know, it's funny you bring that up. Um so both of us being, you know, maybe I'm a lesser graybeard, <laughs> but ultimately, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> um, you know, it's funny. I, you know, I, I have a, you know, a friend who's in his early thirties who, uh, you know, we're going to go to a uh, historic on this coming summer. And Good. I well, almost, that? it's in Pennsylvania. So it's, it's oh, HMGS is, yeah, it's HMGS is big kind of like flag yeah. flagship, uh, flagship uh, convention. Where's it? it used to be at the host. It used to go to the host a lot. but Yeah, so it's a whole long story. So it used to be in the right. host. Then it moved yeah. to the actual Lancaster Convention Center, which is actually, right. to me, a big upgrade. A lot of people have oh. some complaints about it, only insofar as like it can be a little bit hard to get all your stuff up to the like third floor to run your game. You know, all parking right. is a little bit different, but maybe yeah. it's because we were all so used to the host, um, which was so convenient in a lot of ways. But... It's all under renovation, and it's a whole long story. Oh, yeah. Um, but it, but you know, I've got this buddy that I'm bringing, and I felt almost bad the other day talking to him because I was kind of killing his joy because he's so excited to go to this convention. He's like, "Oh my god!" Like you know, you know, oh, what are we gonna buy there? And then <laughs> yeah. I'm being the old guy. I'm like, "Well, you could just get it online." <laughs> yeah. But I do remember though, to your point, when when you couldn't do that conventions. No. Oh my god! Like you look forward to it all year because. Now I don't have to order anything. All yeah. my favorite companies will be there. I could just literally buy it in the moment. The first time you saw it as well, wasn't it? Jeff? Oh, for sure. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So now don't get me wrong though, to all of you know, you uh convention goers out there. I mean, obviously there's still an unbelievable yeah. joy to going, but yeah, it's super, super different. So you probably don't, as a company owner, you probably don't need to be there in person for all of them, I guess. No, well, we used to like going, but the thing is, Jared, it's the overheads because um because we're a, a, a sort of a proper company, we have to pay staff to be there. Right. We also have to spend about three days sorting the stock out. Right. For that one little pack of peasants that someone might want to pack off. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Right. Um, but yeah, but British shows are good. Uh, the the thing is with British shows is that most of them are one day, which is brilliant. So you get right. the th- the morning you drive all the way there you do your business but british shows tend to end at about four o'clock four o'clock everyone's shuffling the feet was american shows they'll play into the evening which is fantastic oh yeah, oh, yeah. but i've been at historicon and 10 o'clock at night people said martin should we have a game i'm saying oh yes please yeah <laughs> right people look this at their watch and go, oh it's half past two i better get home now so yes. i've been here for an hour anyway you think oh yeah yeah yeah, the psyche is different. I think with this is a great generalization. For a lot of people in the States, I think it shows more of a special occasion because you've traveled. I mean, how far do you travel to go to Historicon? Um, so when I lived in New York, I think it was usually about to Lancaster, it was usually somewhere between three and a th- three and three and a half hours. Um, okay. and then from where I live now, it'll probably be an extra hour. So well, a lot of a lot of Brits will travel 40 miles and say that's a huge distance. Yeah, well, look, there were some people, I mean, even now, you'll travel across the whole country. I mean, people will get on planes from California, yeah, from really brilliant. all over the place yeah. to go. So I think you're right. Yeah. I think, um, look, the it is, if you've never been to the States, 
it's it can be almost hard to describe how big this country is. It, it is, is big, just yeah. massive. You know, so whereas you guys over there, it's like you can pack 30 people into a into a club room, you know, from different parts of of the UK here. It's you're right. Like there's always been a little bit of a novelty. It always feels like something special is happening. Yeah, Yeah, I think so. And again, to your earlier earlier kind of comment about, you know, U.S. conventions, you're right. Like they do go all night, not as much now, because, again, I think that the demographic of people that go to a lot of the East Coast cons. I mean, people are older, so you definitely see less less games happening. Um, and again, like I rem- I can remember, you know, you know, twenty years ago, you know, you'd go down into the main hall around one o'clock in the morning. There would always be some kind of late night game where, you know, but guys, Jared, you know, a, it's brilliant if you're a gamer to have people that want to still play a game. Oh, hundred percent. In Britain, it's just I mean, bought my shopping, I've had a sandwich, off we go. Yeah, <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> Yeah, no, um, the, the US is much better for attending shows in that playing games. Yeah. But I think British shows are about playing games or about having a little look-see. Because there's right. always another show next weekend, so there's no hurry. Yeah. Well, the other big difference, and I don't think we've I don't think I've ever talked with a guest on this show about about this point, but the whole idea of like the demo game, the participation game in England, whereas in the States, it's like you're signing up for games run by volunteers and you're just gaming. Yeah. And it's a really big difference, you know? Oh, yeah. Because yeah. in Britain, we have some wonderful, wonderful looking games. But they're, they're basically just sort of static. But they're right. inspirational. Uh, but I think they get a good picture in the magazine, which is good. Yes, yes, but, yes. But also, a lot of British shows, there's not room for that many games. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas in American shows, as you say, if you see a game, you say, can I join in? They say, yeah. yes. This is pretty wonderful. much it is, and it's a great way to it's a great way to try different rule sets, which That's is a brilliant. huge, yeah. huge perk to going to you know one of our cons. So, but I have been at some historical games, and they're like six hours, and you go, oh, oh yeah, <laughs> oh yeah. Some of them are really some of hurts. them are yeah. very long, yeah. And they still um, turn two. <laughs> yes. Like, well, no, and I also no. think too. I also think too. It that has something to do with the different kinds of rules that you know yeah. people use. Yeah. So, for example, I. You know, I can clear as day remember so many times it's happening where it's like, you know, you walk by, it's usually Napoleonic games, Napoleonic games or World War II games where you walk by and two hours later you go by and the figures are all in the same place. The players are in the same place. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So again, which is why I like companies like yours where again, you know, if you're listening out there and you check out some of these rules like square bashing or uh, men of company B or any of these games, you know, they're fast. So it's like, you're going to sit they're down and you're going to yeah, see yeah. things moving. So was well, so all um, those years I've spent with teenagers. You see, Jared, yeah, right. sit there, yeah. You, you can't start a lesson with a 20 minute introduction. This is very true. They, right. They um, <laughs> yeah. And look, you know, on that note, it's like it, I, I think sometimes people don't understand how dif- difficult it can be to run a game. Like it's a real skill set that you have to get good at. And you're right. It's like I'm never going to go into my classroom with my high school students and bore them to tears within the yeah. first five minutes. It's like you got to do something yeah. that's going to catch their yeah, attention. Right. You know? I want to do so. Yeah, give me, yeah. give me something to. Yeah. Yes, that's why we like games with dice and things in them, Jared. Because yeah, right. I like to roll dice. Oh, it's fun. It's absolutely fun. And by the way, um, what are your go-to games? Like, what are your favorite periods to play or favorite sets oh, right. of rules? Uh, well, um, obviously, this is our chance to moan on about things. Isn't it? Oh, no, this is where you can plug yeah, everything yeah, you oh, make. Yeah, that's right. Yes. Yeah. Um, well, things we're playing a lot of moment, playing a, a fair bit of uh, Mexican Revolution at the moment. 
which is a very interesting period of history, and we, we love doing that. Um, we play quite a lot of the Vietnam, which is odd being British, playing an American-centred game, but it's the way it goes. Right. Uh, now, we play a fair bit of War of Independence. What do you call that war, though, Jared? So I think it depends who you ask. Um, I think there's a decent contingent of people that still call it the American kind of revolution, you know, yeah. and then, but I do, I do find that in, I would say more of a modern context, I do find it. People will say the, like the American war of independence, you know, right. that's what I usually find. So it's kind of like a mix depending on Is who it you ask. A bit like the American civil wars, the late unpleasantness or something. Yeah. Well, the, the civil war is a whole nother animal, yeah. you know, um, because I think not to get too much into history or politics or anything, but obviously like the civil war, even amongst, you know, war gamers, it can be a bit tenuous, you know, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. just in, it was very, very unpleasant, you know, and don't get me wrong. I have, I grew up playing American civil war games and I it's have got to be a, an evergreen, isn't it? Yeah. I have a massive, like yeah. yeah, I have a massive collection of 15s, but you know, I don't know, like it's a hard thing to talk about because as war gamers, I mean, we're usually, playing abstract versions of very difficult things but i don't know it's kind of like pushing a tank around with the ss symbol on it you yeah. know or <laughs> pushing troops around yeah. with the confederate stars and bars That's it's like right. yeah yeah as a as a history person obviously i'm not never going to pretend that those things don't exist and certainly with my students it's like one of the most important lessons it's like you can't take modern interpretations and That's let vivid. that yeah. dictate the past like in terms still of still is a game isn't it jared it's still it is 100 yeah. but at the same time you know it's an unpleasant sight you know so meaning like i i don't necessarily want to necessarily be pushing you know troops around with the, the confederate flag i guess if that makes sense and i don't know what about you guys for um you know your own civil war how you guys feel about that like in england oh no england loves it because it, it the english aren't very touchy about very much uh, i don't know why but i mean we've uh the english civil war yeah we do like playing that um but in, as you expect english humor is very strange anyway isn't it jared it well you know what i would say too and and i've i've noticed this in my my sort of travels i do think that one really interesting difference between the us and maybe this is a bit political but a difference between the us and overseas is i find that and this is just my opinion i find that a lot of europeans maybe it's just because there's so much more of a history there depending on where you go whether it's england or whether it's france it's almost like what's more important to those cultures is moving on like yes this really bad thing happened but let's think about the future whereas in the united states i do think that culturally we think about the future but i also think some of the scars in this country are bad enough that um we almost put as much thought into how bad that thing was compared uh, with yeah, moving yeah. forward. I think that's a major difference, um, at least just to my own eyes. So, well, yeah, no, over here, um, I think uh, most war gaming, it's uh, it's still in the model soldier realm, isn't it? Right. Because uh, we we love painting the soldiers and the red coats and all that. Uh, right, right, right. Yeah, we, we play lots of different games over here, but as I said, I'm a little unusual, and I'm very sort of what you call peripatetic as. Mm. I play all over the place. So in a typical week, I play at, at least three different venues. Right. Because one thing that I, I don't like is, um, apart from um, coffee-flavoured chocolates, they're not so nice. <laughs> the one thing I, I don't like is turning up for a game and the alpha player has set the scenery up, chosen the sides, chosen the mission, and all I get to do is push one little field gun around. Right. 
I, so, I want to be in command. It's a power thing, I suppose, isn't it? Yeah. Well, that's an interesting little question here, right? I mean, when you do when you do bring your own stuff to run a game, is it is it you kind of putting the game on, or is it more like everybody no. kind of brings a contingent? No, I, I'd often bring the two armies right. these two players because in all the Peter Pig games. Both players decide on the scenery because there's a mechanism for it. Right. Uh, both players decide on the scenario because there's a mechanism for it. And both players choose their own forces because I think it's important as a military commander that scenery does matter, doesn't it? You it choose does. where to fight your battles. But uh, yeah, as I said, it, it leaves me cold when I, I get somewhere and someone set everything up. You think, well, I don't really need to be here, do I? Because <laughs> you've already finished it. It's- uh, and I, and I do the same courtesy for other players. Say, no, you have a say in every aspect of the game, every yeah. single aspect. And look, just- on that note, right? I mean, I was just talking to Brent Oman a few weeks ago um, who wrote uh, Field of Battle and Battle Command and a lot of the PK War games. Um, and we were talking a little bit about that too, like where sometimes if you're really heavy-handed with what you're talking about, setting up the terrain and stuff like that, or you know, you're you're trying to you know, like replicate a particular historical battle. I mean, sometimes if you're a really good gamer, you can kind of sit down and say, okay, there's no chance that we're winning this. Yeah. And it's almost like, what's the point? You know, whereas right, again, yeah. with Why your com- <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. And again, I'm kind of yeah. plagiarizing you in the moment because you just said the same thing, but it is so very true. So I do love the fact that there is a mechanism where you kind of sit down with with your opponent or with your opponents and you kind of almost like collaborate on the world that you're building. And I know I'm using terminology from like role play games, you know, sure. but building that world and building that narrative. That's crucial. You need, yeah, you, it is. Otherwise, you own half the game. It's sort of, yeah. why am I here to be yeah. not hand to the ego or something? It's terrible. Yeah. And look, I would never name check anybody in a negative way because, the, you know, for example, you know, going to a lot of the cons, some of the most beautiful games, like games that you, almost like wish that you had that painting skill or you had that kind of table space in your home but then you look and the lines are literally six inches apart yeah. you know and it's like what 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 is going on here you know like why don't you just get a computer to roll all the dice you know you almost have to wonder what a game master is thinking in that moment like why are they putting that game on do they just want to see their miniatures being pushed around i mean it's odd well, as I say, they may get different things right, but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm of the opinion, uh, maybe you agree with me, that I want a full part in the game. No, I completely agree with you, which is why, again, like I like I like rule sets and companies like yours, and there are plenty of others out there where the decisions you make matter. And I, I so yeah, I completely agree with you. One of the um, one of the horrible things is where they say, um, right, you're going to be um, General Hood, so you're an aggressive pusher. You say, well, I'm not. <laughs> you gotta, it's like tell people say you're a brilliant commander. Right, no, right, right. That's right. <laughs> yeah. uh, no, it's it, an interesting point. Yeah, the um, rules have got to allow people to be who they are, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. And I think the more it's almost like an artist, like getting a palette of colors. You know, being able to use what you want in that moment, you know, I think is super, super important, you know. Yeah. Um, do you play your own rules? Oh, when you go? yeah, yeah. very, very, uh, yeah. Um, I'm out there sort of, um, sort of flogging them all over the place. Yeah, I, I don't, I've never played any other rules apart from, I played DBA a bit. Mm-hmm. 
I've seen a few things, but I've never played any of the fancy rules. Yeah. Nothing, because we had one strange thing where, what was it? Oh, uh, we did a set of rules called AK-47. Do you ever hear of Oh, that? of course I do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, someone wrote a set uh, that was a sort of bit of a copy of it. Mm-hmm. He sold one to someone I know vaguely. And then they put the publicity say, this is the game that all the P2P people are really playing. And I thought, well, that's a bit rude because we're yeah. not. <laughs> yeah, but, it sounds so, it. I, I, I almost can't afford to be seen playing other games. Right. People say, oh, this is what Martin really plays. He plays da 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 Right. But no, it's basically um, totally selfish. We play our own games because I have so many opponents. We're always developing our games. Yeah. We don't often go to a second edition of a game, and this has been around for at least 10 years. Right. Our turnover cycle is for 10 years. The the new ancient game, Kongs and Kings, has been 25 years since the last edition. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, a good 10 years between editions. Yeah. What I appreciate, too, about your new editions, right? So again, for our audience out there, Square Bashing, and you correct me if I'm wrong, given that it's your company, but I, I believe there have been two editions of Square Bashing, right? You're correct. Uh, yeah, yeah. So what I really appreciate is that when you're putting a new edition out, it's not necessarily because um, you just want to get a new book out there for people to purchase. Like there were legitimately good changes yeah, in yeah. that second version. So again, um, for our audience um, that's listening, what's great about the second ed- edition of Square Bash, and by the way, I don't know if I mentioned this, but uh, it's for World War One, so you can play early yes. war, mid war, yeah. late war. I think I forgot to mention that. But um, what I love about the second edition are just these little changes, like where instead of just um, it being an assault game, like where troops in your square march up to an enemy square and you add up a bunch of factors and determine how many D6 you roll in order to, you know, create casualties against the enemy and vice versa. Back in the day, the only things that could shoot were artillery. And I always was kind of like, oh man, if I modified this game, I would love, and I actually did, like I added like as a, as a GM, like little rules about shooting. And sure enough, when your second edition comes out, there's that really sort of vibrant, you know, small arms fire, which just adds another dimension. Well, we're always happy if people want to change the rules. That's We're not precious about that. So <clears> a lot of people want to change bits. You say, yeah, just go ahead. No, but it's your rules. You bought yeah. them. Just enjoy them. Yeah. I also too love um there's so many cool little things about the new rules. So again, if you're if you're going to, you know, make a purchase, I would actually um advise you if you can get the PDF of the original rules and kind of compare, you can see exactly what I'm talking about. So something as simple as an asset point system where each army has X amount of asset points. You can use those points yeah, every yeah, yeah. you can yeah, use yeah. all of those points every turn to do something like a preparatory bombardment or send an aircraft up for observation. So oh, all these little oh I wasn't lying when I said I played your game. Oh, I probably yeah. run square bashing for kids I don't know, in the last 10, 15 years, I don't know, probably 50 times. So well, I am... well, Jared, if people want to have a look, almost every set of rules we do, the play sheets are free to download. Mm-hmm. So and you can get play sheet and have a little look, see if you like the game or not. And you can get those on the um, the Peter Pig website? Yeah, they're, they're all free. All the battle sheets are free. All the play mm-hmm. sheets are free. It's all free. Gotcha. Um, we, we do make some money, but not a lot. I've got very <laughs> old. <laughs> I gotcha. So just out of curiosity, um, what what where, like what um do you have planned for the future? Like, I mean, do you have any rules that are going to be coming out or projects you're excited about? 
Well, the, yeah, thank you for asking. Well, generally, we tend to do one set of rules per year. At the moment, we're finishing off Conquerors and Kings, which I've dribbled on about earlier. We're doing a new version of PBI, which is the World War II gridded game. Mm-hmm. And that should be at the end of 2023. Um, sometimes we start a whole new period, like the Mexican Revolution was a brand new period. Uh, so that's been interesting. But also in the year, I do the sculpting as well. Now, you haven't got any uh, camera there, but if I show you, it's some. Mm-hmm. Can you see that? I can. Yeah. So, that by is. the way, for our listeners, uh, Mr. Goddard <laughs> is holding up one of his beautiful little 15 yeah. millimeter now, figures. That's a, that's the dolly. So mm-hmm. we cast out little, like, little skeletal figures. Right. And then you add on the detail. Once again, no one can see this. But you can see how it bulks out when you put the stuff on it. Yeah, that's awesome. So this new, latest range is the Cossacks. We're doing Cossacks now. Oh, cool. From For, which era? Uh, World War One, World War Two crossed over. Awesome. They're, they're quite similar. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so usually when we do a range of things, do about... Um, about nine or ten packs. Mm-hmm. We've just finished Carolingians, done about 10 or 11 packs. But because I do the sculpting, we don't pay a sculptor. Mm-hmm. It means I do the sillier packs, which some people might find useful. So you got, you know, men dropping their coins or stuff like that. <laughs> but on that note, that's something that's kind of unique about your um your company, which is the fact that you do make so many poses and you do have yeah. such action in your figures and liveliness and you Thank have you. a lot of those sort of interesting little asides which frankly like make the game kind of interesting whereas a lot of other companies you know if you only have three or four packs then you have to play that game now again i am not type a about many things but what i am type a about is like mixing scales it's because if the figures don't line up there's nothing worse than having to go to another company to buy missing you know, products. Yeah, you've got to complete ranges, yeah. Right. Which is what you guys strive for every time you put something new out, which is yeah. I appreciate it. You know the word is strive. We never ever get there. <laughs> yeah. We yeah, we, we want to put in things like, you know, the dead people, the wounded people, the right. ones carrying things, one bigger hats, the small hats. Oh right. yeah, I mean, the Mexican Revolution has got about two hundred and fifty separate sculpts in it. What and made you guys? Well, what made you guys go in that direction of that conflict? Because you're right; like it's a pretty unique conflict. Like you don't see that out there very well, often. Absolutely. Well, we always look for something where players like to be either side. Mm-hmm. There's no point choosing a war where it wants to be because um, we don't do the Falklands War. Remember the Falklands War? I do. Yeah, early '80s. Yeah. The reason we don't do it is because everyone wants to be the British with the SAS and the special mm-hmm. boat section, and no one want to be Argentinians. You right, think, well, right, right. Why make a range? So it's got to be one where people all like to fight both sides. So that's one crucial thing. It's also got to be one that's been at least a few battles to reference, because sometimes wars are so small that there's only like one battle. Mm-hmm. You think, well, that's not very interesting. So you want lots of little battles, so you get some reference from it. Uh, and, yeah, it's, both sides are going to be popular. So Mexican Revolution, um, obviously, you're, you're physically closer to it than we are. But yeah. there's no real goodies or baddies as such. Maybe Zapata might be a goodie, but um, they're just big armies and they're fighting, and uh, uh, that, that's the criteria. Are the two yeah. armies interesting? Is there something interesting in a paint model? Can you make an army for not too much money? Because a typical army in a Peter Pig game is not more than about 140 figures. Right. Yeah. And which again, you know, for depending on your wallet and depending on your, uh, the amount of space that you have, you know, that's very valuable, you know, 
where you don't need to have 5,000 French infantry to play exactly. a Napoleonic game, which is really nice. So what are the rules called for um, the, the Mexican Revolution game? Well, well thanks. For, it's called Fighting for Mexico, or FM. Okay. Got, uh, we try and give rule titles, because in the internet age, we think you can't have obscure titles, which people say, well, what does that mean? Right. I think some war games get so clever, Jared, they give some quote, and you think, well, what war is that? <laughs> uh, true. Because uh, we had one um, when we did our American Civil War set, or Civil War battles. Mm-hmm. We see Civil War battles. You and I know what it is. Yeah. But someone said, "Well, why not call it, you know, Four Glorious Summers?" And you think, "Well, <laughs> the anything be going out with a young lady, couldn't it?" Whatever. <laughs> but, uh, so in the internet age, we try and put. So our Vietnam rules are called Vietnam, right? The men of Company B. Right, right. If right, you said right. the men of Company B, people say, well, I've got no idea what that's about. It could be so, anything. Yeah. And we, we, we try and choose titles. Um, I don't like to use things like Latin and stuff like that because mm-hmm. I'm not a very impressive person. I don't try and impress people with stuff like that. <laughs> I, I want it to be like younger people could see it and say, oh, yeah, it says Vietnam, so it's probably about Vietnam. Right. Oh, yeah. That's, no, it, make, it makes total yeah, sense. It makes complete sense. The Re- the Mexican Revolution is fascinating. Like when I was in college, so I'm a, so again for our listeners, I think our listeners already know this. I mean, my background is in yes, it's in gaming and game design and game thinking and all that. But I'm a history teacher at heart, ultimately. And one of the most fun classes I took in college was a whole course uh, on Mexico, and we spent a good amount of time talking about the revolution. What a wild! conflict like total chaos i I think the most i think the thing that stood out to me more than anything else about that conflict was how you know you could play trench battles as a game or with that by the end i mean um what was his name and this is where i'm gonna embarrass myself um i think it was obregon um yeah who who was kind of like digging trenches out in the middle of the desert and kind of like you know goading uh uh, Pancho, Pancho Villas, Villas. Yeah, yeah, pretty wild stuff, you know. Um, the great thing about Pancho Villas, if it doesn't work the first time, just keep repeating the same oh, thing. Oh, yeah, they're literally the <laughs> definition of oh, insanity. I lost yeah. my army. <laughs> Damn. Yeah, you got to wonder sometimes. Dead, don't they, in the war? Every yeah. character's dead. Yeah, but I guess to, to defend our friend Pancho Villa, um, and by the way, for our listeners, I mean, at the Battle of Celaya, um, which was one of the, the battles that really broke Pancho Villa, you know, he's just launching these headlong cavalry Absolutely. charges into yeah. into trenches and barbed wire, and right, I idea. guess, but it worked for him every other time. So I mean, exactly. I mean, so, maybe it's a little unfair to call him insane. Why would I modify what I do? It's just the yeah, same. It's true. Thing. It's true. You know, it yeah, can be really guy. hard to change one's ways in the moment. So yeah, yeah, you'll be very nice to him. <laughs> yeah, and by the way, I, you know, I have to be honest. Like I had heard a little bit about this game and a little a little bit about the line, but. Martin Goddard, th- this this podcast is now costing me money because I know that I am going to end up oh. splurging <laughs> on these miniatures. So, okay, so I don't know. Hopefully, the podcast takes off and we get some sponsors. That way, I can afford to uh, splurge <laughs> on a brand new game. So, good press, Joe. No, thank indeed. you so much. Then, yeah, Sorry. no, for sure, for sure. So, uh, do you? Have, I'm just curious. Like, is there anything else? Um, you want to touch on um, in terms of our pod? Because again, I'm just looking at the time here and we're starting to get to the, uh, to the end oh, of the road. Yeah. yeah. Um, no, I, I think the, the, a lot of it's speculation, but I would assume that because we cast in metal mm-hmm. in 25 years, there won't be many people casting in metal. I think 3d printing will come into its own because I yeah. think we're a sort of dot matrix at the moment for 3d printing or sort of, uh, but one day that'll all be there. 
but I think people still keep using dice. Did you ever use computer dice for your games? Or? So that's a really good question. Um, the only game that I've ever played that was sort of like computer moderated um, would be like Carnage and Glory. Have you ever played that? No. Uh, so Carnage and Glory was um, invented and made by... Um, Nigel Marsh, who's also a Connecticut guy. And basically, I can't describe, you know, the algorithm that he uses or the kind of programming yeah. he uses, but essentially what it what it what it does um is you know, you've got your unit and you've got a unit rating, like a number on the back. And when you get to X amount of distance from the enemy, you could start shooting at them. And his computer program works in such a way that you call out the range, you call out the number of your unit, and you call out the enemy unit, and the computer calculates like all of the um all of the percentages and stuff like that. And what the GM will do is they'll call out and tell you what you saw happen. So it's not like other games where it's like, oh, I rolled two dice and I got two hits and I know what happened. This is more like an abstraction of that. So he'll tell you, oh, you you think you saw 30 people drop. You saw a lot of smoke. You saw the enemy waver a little bit. So it's really kind of interesting. It sounds more Very, realistic. Yeah, oh, it definitely is. I don't want realistic. I want to roll some dice. Well, that's the thing. Just, it's like it that so in to me like that's a that's more of a simulation rather than a game, you know. At least that's the way I kind of define it. Do you it. think dice will last forever? I think they probably will do. Well, look, they, I mean, they've been around... I mean, I've been to the Met Museum and seen, like, the Egyptians were using dice, like, thousands and thousands of years ago. It's I would assume... Feel, isn't it? I want yeah. to those dice. Yeah, and tactile, physical things will, in my opinion, will never go yeah. away. Um, yeah. But, like, I do know that there's a like there are board games out there that you know use apps to kind of track certain things you know like if you know if you've got your phone so i'm not a luddite like i i you know and i'm not afraid of technology but there is like a physicality to you know to to gaming i mean in that sense like why play with miniatures why just why don't we just all sit there with laptops and play you know it's computer joy games getting out your special unit you just painted isn't absolutely. it absolutely i don't think that'll ever go away but i do think you're right though i think as the technology gets better like i said you can 3D print really small figures really well. You, yes, yeah, you can. Yeah. You can 3D print bigger things um, as well, like big tanks or 28 millimeter. I've seen it that. Takes it's a long yeah. time, though. You know, I, I don't know if you're gonna right now be 3D printing. You know, again, like some of the collections that I'm sure you have or I have. I mean, but it will again, come. Won't it? I do it think so. Come. I mean, eventually, if we're still here. So, yes, God right. only knows. Yeah, God only knows. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. I'll be yeah. gone by then, but I mean, it's the way it's going, isn't it? Yeah, well, here's an interesting question, though, right? I guess, and I'm putting you on the spot here, but like, I guess if 3D printing did become uh, even better than it is now, could you see yourself or whoever takes over Peter Pig at some point, you know, you know, in uh, 20 or 30 years? No, Jared, I mean, I'll be dead, so I won't care. So you just uh, don't care? I don't know. We'll have to see. We'll have to see what companies do. Like, I imagine... You know, it's just like the oil, you know, companies like, you know, going from oil to electric at some point or another. Yeah, they'll you know, have it's, to. It's you know. changed, yeah, because yeah. people want it. Uh, but the only thing I was going to mention walking yeah. is, I don't know if you know, it's, it's mats. Mm -hmm. The number of mats now that I, I, this, I've thrown out all my scenery tiles. Yeah. They just used up a whole room. <laughs> so it's funny you bring that up, but um, have you heard of Cigar Box Battles? 
Oh, here in the states. Yeah, oh, of yeah, course. So yeah. I'm good friends with uh, with Corey, um, the guy who yeah. runs it. He's going to be on the pod talking exactly oh, yeah. about this. Well, look, because again, and I know that I keep inflating your ego and your company's ego, but Please like, do. <laughs> uh, no, I and I will. Um, yes. Thank Look, you, I, like I said, you know, I try to bring on innovative people that I want to interview. So, I mean, you were one of the people and your company was one of the, I, and to me, like a very innovative company. I would say the same thing about Cigar Box Battles because Corey has been printing, you know, uh, gaming mats. And again, for for our listeners, if you've never gamed before, what Martin and I are talking about is instead of going to like a craft store and buying a big piece of felt or making like tiles out of MDF board and having that as your gaming top, what a lot of companies are doing, and Corey with Cigar Box Battles is one of the first companies to do this, is basically printing like a really yeah. high quality image one onto, f- yeah, yeah, and you can just sort of roll it out and i have so many of them um so yeah like i think that's a real innovation in in, How many in the war game world oh god it's it's embarrassing to say um i've got probably 10 or 15 of them for all different things you know and well, in, in the uk jared there's a lot yeah. of gamers they've got their piece of felt from 1974 yeah and no way they're going to buy a map because they've spent spent four pounds on it in 1974 and they're not made of money (laughs) no i hear you i hey look don't get me wrong like you know and and by the way if if it'll make you feel better or your countrymen feel better i get criticized all the time because i i still use felt roads you know i'll go and get the the brown i know i know i know everybody makes fun of me for it but i don't know (laughs) martin i gotta say this was one of my favorite podcasts to do this was a really really fun conversation so look you have to agree to come on well you have to agree to two things one you got to come on again at some point um and you know maybe the next time you put out a set of rules we can we can chat and hopefully somebody will take interest yeah, in the chat. Yeah, yeah. And look, if I come to England, um, you got to let in. me know. Yeah, a hundred percent. Like, I you feel like I've been, figures and play some yes, games. I have been interviewing a lot of Brits um, and right. Scots on this uh, podcast. So next time the wife and I go over to England, I've got to uh, find my way to meet you. All right, Martin, thank you so much yeah. for coming on. This was an absolute blast and a real honor. Um, it was just fun to talk to you. Thanks your time. Thanks, All right. Jeff. Have a good one. Bye. And everybody have a good day. Thank you so much for listening to today's 20 sided gamified podcast. I hope you got as much out of the conversation as I did. If you're interested in learning more about the organizations I work with, please visit www.nextgengaming.org and www.nasaga.org. My Instagram handle is HMGS underscore NextGen underscore Inc. Until next time, be well, get some gaming in, and roll some 20s. Thank you so much.